This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home Podcast. I'm Josh Cooperman, Director of Broadcast Media for Hudson One Media, and today on the show you're going to hear from Shira Gill, author of the book Minimalista. Gill calls this book, quote, your step-by-step guide to a better home, wardrobe, and life. It's a bold statement. There really is an art to the edit, addition by subtraction. That's what minimalism is, after all, right? When done properly, minimalism is the art of living with less. But that doesn't mean living without. Living with less can provide a sense of freedom that's lost sometimes by having too much stuff. Minimalism is actually an art form, literally. Started post-World War II, that art form transitioned, as many do, into a philosophy. And of course, after that, it was misinterpreted to take on many different meanings aside from that which it was originally intended. The idea that one can elevate their lifestyle, a sense of freedom, and ultimately happiness through living with less is not an act of deprivation, but instead a strategic series of choices based on needs or preferences. And for more about that, we're going to speak with Shira Gill, author of Minimalista, right after this. Now, more than ever before, it's so important to take care of the fabrics that make up incredible design. High-quality furnishings are an investment. As with any investment, you need to protect it. Removing stains is easy with FiberSeal, and the most talented designers will tell you that caring for the fabric is critical to its longevity. Just about every homeowner will tell you that stains happen. Protecting fine furnishings with Fiber Seal gives your clients the best opportunity for success in stain removal. Designers, recommend to your clients that they protect their fine furnishings with Fiber Seal. Why? Well, Fiber Seal is a suite of products, protective treatments, at-home care products, as well as superior customer service. And the most popular products are GreenGuard Gold Certified. Each treatment comes with superior service from a company dedicated to protecting your fine fabrics, carpets, and rugs from stains and environmental factors that damage fine textiles. You can work with Fiber Seal for pre-testing before you make your textile selects. They are industry partners of both ASID and the Interior Design Society. So, they understand the needs of the design community and how to care for fine furnishings. Visit Fiber Seal online to learn more about how it works. You can also connect online fibersealnortheast.com and on Instagram at fibersealnortheast. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a culture war brewing in our, in our country. We've had this culture war and it's been a couple of years now. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it, it's dividing families and it's making people really rethink only everything about what they do and how they live. The maximalists and the minimalists are not getting along these days. <laughs> and I think you're probably aware of that. It's a real issue. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I, I actually, I kind of kid, but not really. Yeah. There's, it's, and I want to say that it's something that existed in design in particular. Uh, and I think individually in, ever since Marie Kondo, right? But- sure. That was kind of like a flashpoint. 
that just totally galvanized people. But I think that it, it existed even before that. I think it's always been an issue. In design, though, it's really interesting because you'll have some designers that swear by their maximalist values and ideas, and others are all about minimalism and keeping things clean. And while we want to say there's a happy medium between the two, one of the things I'm really excited about talking to you about is this book. And so I want to go into the book, but first I want to get some background, sure. right? The, the why and the how. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up um, in the San Francisco Bay area with kind of hippie parents who were all about, you know, community and contribution and were actually kind of anti-materialist. Um, anti-consumer culture is what I was raised in. And yet I, for as long as I can remember, loved beautiful things and style and aesthetics. And so I kind of was always grappling between these two seemingly opposing forces of, you know, where to put your energy when you're interested in style and aesthetics, but then your values and your family really dictate like, that that's superficial and shallow and you should be focused more on people and intellectual pursuits. And so I think at a young age, I kind of tried to create my own philosophy around, I can still indulge in all of these things that I love, but with some level of restraint. Um, and so as long as I can remember, I was always like th thinking about like, even with an outfit, like I didn't want 25 new sweaters. I wanted the one perfect new sweater. That was kind of exciting to me, like the thrill of the hunt and saving up for just the right thing. Um, so that, you know, it kind of started really young. And I think also, you know, I grew up an only child um, in a family that there was a lot of fighting and there was divorce and I had joint custody between my parents and I traveled back and forth every other day. Um, and so I was sort of like toting stuff back and forth. And so stuff became very oppressive to me at an early age as well. And, um, and I guess the other kind of important thing to note is both of my parents, what they did have in common was a love of travel. And both of them had left their own dysfunctional families very young to go travel the world. Um, my mom lived in Israel. My dad lived in Nigeria and um, I grew up with this sort of these tales of travel and excitement and adventure and like get out, you know, get out and see the world. And so um, I started saving up to travel when I was a teenager and um, started traveling at the age of 16 every chance I could get. Um, and so I've lived in 25 different places in my life um, by choice. And I think part of that lifestyle really necessitated stripping down to the essentials and answering the question of what is essential and what is worth toting around the world with you. Um, so that was always very interesting to me. So when did you, when did you turn that love and passion into a business? Yeah, it took a long time. <laughs> and I think I'm still somewhat stunned. I've been in my career as um, a professional organizer and life coach and stylist for 12 years now. Um, but I spent most of my career as an actor in the theater. And um, I really, it was only when I decided to have a family 
in my late twenties, um, I decided to get married and had this dream of having a family and realized the life of being an actor and traveling, you know, every month to a new city and working nights and weekends probably wasn't going to go so well. Um, and so I kind of made this painstaking decision to leave the theater, which was all I had known. I had acted since I was a little girl and was honestly quite lost. And um, for a few years worked in event planning and catering because I loved food and throwing parties. Um, but I got laid off when I was eight months pregnant with my first daughter. And so I was home with a new baby. I had no career. I knew I wasn't going to be an actor. I knew I didn't want to go back to party planning. And um, honestly, I just felt completely at a crossroads. Like, I don't know who I am. I was 32. I don't know what to do, how to contribute. And um, it was really a number of close friends who said to me, you know how you're always coming over and kind of rearranging the furniture and helping me clean out my closet? I think people need help with this. And um, so I'm home with a baby, you know, questioning my life. And my friends are telling me, you should just go help strangers declutter and get organized. And this was pre-condo. You know, I had no idea that this was an actual career. I remember telling my parents and they were just scratching their heads like, you're going to go into strangers' homes and move their stuff around. And it was like the strangest thing to them. But I was kind of desperate and I needed to make some money and I'm home with a baby. And so I essentially cobbled together a website with a few friends and took pictures of my home, you know, my organized little vignettes and just put out into the world, hey world, if you need help decluttering or organizing or styling your home, I can help you. Um, and that is how my business was born. You know, just locally in the Bay Area, I started getting phone calls and then those led to referrals and then that led to press. And, you know, fast forward 12 years later, I sort of stumbled into this amazing career. Which is fantastic. I, I think, you know, I want your take on something. I feel like the idea of minimalism isn't, isn't a practice, but a philosophy. And I feel like that's one of the areas where it gets a little confusing because I, I think that people who fear the Marie Kondo thing, I, I've never seen people have such a visceral reaction to a philosophic idea like that um, as, as it relates to design, you know, and, and, and lifestyle. I mean, it was visceral and it was, she got either you love her or you hate her, but very few people are in the, in the middle ground. And I think I understand why. I think it's because for someone to come in and tell you, well, you can only have this many of that or this number of that. And if you don't pick it up, you know, we all have things in our closets that we haven't worn in a year or five years or 10 years, but we're still not ready to get rid of them. Uh, yeah. for, for any, any number of reasons. And I feel like it kind of goes, we're seeing this, this development by, by generation. So the boomer consumerism, we'll call it boomerism for right now, mm -hmm. just this, I'm making after World War II, I'm making money, I'm buying things and I'm accumulating things. And there didn't seem to be a lot of direction, you know, through the 70s and 1980s about the, the type of, of things that were, were being accumulated. So then you've got Gen X. Gen X was highly focused 
And they were kind of like the ones to say, I want to live a collector's lifestyle. So there was still an accumulation, but it was, it was siloed and specific. Mm-hmm. Then you have millennials who are kind of like, I don't want anything. You know, I'm just going to, and it's it, the bad rap is the parents' basement thing, right? Where you know they're, they're living in their parents' basement. But the idea behind millennials and collecting stuff and, and consumerism and buying things, they would spend all their money on one thing, whether right. it was, the, whether it was that new pair of Yeezys or whether it was a watch or a car or a really expensive, you know, Roche-Bobois Mahjong sectional, because that's what made them happy. It was one thing. And then they would surround the rest with, you know, lesser quality goods. Let's just say that. I'm curious if you've seen the same thing and how that, how you cover the ideas in the book and sort of how you structure. It's very easy to tell people, oh, just get rid of stuff. But it's, it's the new, the the art is in the nuance, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I should define, so the way that I define minimalism is not, you know, a stark white aesthetic or a specific number of things. Um, I think minimalism gets a bad rap um, and is often misinterpreted. And I think you're absolutely right. It is more of a philosophy of intentionality. And so for me, living a minimalist life is about living intentionally, choosing what's important to you, stripping away the things that don't matter to you or add value and creating a home that reflects both your authentic style and your personal values. And so that's going to look vastly different for everybody. And I think in my book, I really try to drive that point to say, this isn't about having 11 pairs of shoes and three pairs of jeans. That number is going to be different depending on who you are, where you live, what your profession is, what you care about. The point is to get intentional and make decisions on purpose. And so in my work, you know, I've worked now with hundreds of people in person, thousands virtually. And what I see is people are drowning in decisions that weren't made in it from a grounded place. And so that's the stuff that stresses people out is the stuff that doesn't matter, that is just collecting dust. Um, And so in my book, I made a point of featuring different people's homes. So I highlight a few different designers who I love, none of whom consider themselves minimalists, but all of them fit into my definition of making choices from an intentional place. Um, So I hope that distinction helps a bit. I think what's also important, and it it does help, um, but I think what's also important is that we're not really talking exclusively about stuff and things. And, and I really want to make it's so interesting, isn't it? When and I have to I have to sort of add the caveat prior to eighteen months ago, and I think it's really important because this idea of stuff and things and importance and value. I feel like the definitions have changed a great deal uh, right around March 12th and 13th of 2020. And it's funny too, because I've gotten kind of sick of going back and saying the word pandemic and talking about COVID, but I don't think that we're able to move forward with a lot of these ideas without first recognizing that there is a major shift 
in consumerism, in co collectors and collecting. You know, it's really interesting. I remember probably around April or May, June of 2020, going for runs. And while the streets were now empty, you could, on trash days, it was phenomenal. I saw something just amazing. I saw this, this transitional shift started running April, you know, my runs in April, May, going through the neighborhood early in the morning to see all the trash cans that were put out on trash day and to see so many more things that were put out with the trash, right? Yeah. And, and then, you know where I'm going with this. And then into May, June, June, July, into August of 2020, all of the Amazon boxes, all of the, all of the unpacking that was taking place, which just this boost of consumerism. So everyone just purged and got rid of everything. And I, I think even to this day, many people got caught off guard because they got rid of a lot of their things and didn't realize that they weren't going to be able to replace them right. immediately. So I think it forced a shifted mindset as it relates to the idea of minimalism, some by choice, others, you just mistimed it. Yeah. But it still forced the idea. And I'm curious, I don't know if you address it in the book specifically, but I love how you talk about things and stuff and, and possessions, but there's also the idea of changing the mindset first. I feel like we're on the precipice or, or maybe we're at the beginning stages of something that, that is a wholesale change in the way we think about things generationally. Uh, where do you think this is going? Well, where I hope it's going is a greater awareness and intention of the things we consume, the decisions we make. Um, I know from my work, there's so much shame and regret and waste. And um, I mean, I've literally had clients break down crying because as we go through their pantry, say, they realize 50% of it is expired and just has to be tossed. Or you know, all of the sunken cost of all of the purchases from shopping out of boredom or stress or anxiety, buying things again and again that we don't really need because it fills something in us that's kind of aching or lonely or hungry. And so my hope is that people will wake up a little bit and just pause or slow down and be more mindful about what am I buying? Why am I buying it? How am I setting up my home? What do I care about? And does my home actually reflect those things and support those things? Or is my home another source of stress in my life? And my mission really is to help people identify who are you and what do you care about? What matters? And then let's focus on those things that matter and let go of the things that don't, um, both so that we can have a more sustainable world but also so that you can enjoy your home and life on the day-to-day. -day. Um, I mean, I've seen so much pain caused by excess. Um, I've seen kind of across the board with just normal, professional, hardworking families that feel like, I don't know how I got here. Like, I am an intelligent person with a thriving career, and my house feels like a completely chaotic nightmare. Um, and these are not hoarders, by the way. These are just regular 
people like me and you who have, you know, made decisions that cumulatively seem to add up to a whole lot of clutter. And so to answer your question, my hope is just that people will be able to slow down and be more mindful so that they can enjoy their lives more and they can save more money and have more time and energy and resources for those things that do matter, which is different for everybody. Break it down for me as you see it, as the order of importance. And I, I, I preface the thought with this, you know, in, in advance of our conversation, I was thinking about it because I have recently gone through quite a bit. And one of the things that is just so amazing and fun, it going through things, culling things down to take what you have and make it more of a curated collection, even no matter what it is, you know, for me, it's always about the concert t-shirts, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> it is a big one. And I think, I think that's one of those things where it's like, it can so expose someone and explain like, you know, if you have a Rolling Stones voodoo lounge concert shirt, <laughs> you know, that is the epitome of cool and always will be. Yeah. Same time frame. If you have a Millie Vanilli concert shirt, you might not garner as much respect. Now, it's gone through phases. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't I, knock Millie Vanilli. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I, absolutely not. But I, I think the, the idea is it all comes down to quality and it comes down to preference. When, when you get to other things like furnishings, which is, which is really important, you know, design, if you're an architect, you're designing for 50, 100, 150, 200 years. You're not, you're not looking at the intermittent daily, weekly, monthly spikes, right? Right. If you're, if you're a designer, you have to take into account trends. Mm -hmm. And I think that we went through this phase of, you know, so heavily influenced by fast fashion and fast fashion affected everything else. It affected design and design for a while. I think there's, there's still a lot of brands that, that try to speak to that, get the, get the color, you know, the color of the year is something that has always bugged me because, yeah. you know, you don't change your colors every year. It's not feasible. It's not, it's not realistic. Right. But there are some people that take that as a, as a literal idea. Right. And it's back to the idea of the concert shirt. You know, would you buy the $35 concert shirt? Will you wear it in a year? Will you wear it in five? Will you wear it in 20? And I think there's a thought process. I wanted to know, sort of, give me your, give me your rules for the thought process. Yeah. Well, and I will say, I think concert t-shirts tend to be one of the things that people hang on to for dear life. And I, I've thought about it a lot. Like, what is that? Because I'm a person, I don't own any concert t-shirts, but I love music. But I know, not one. <laughs> but I love music. And I think, you know, I am less attached to stuff as a form of um, defining my identity, I think. And so I think when somebody has such a strong pull towards something and you cannot, I can't let go of it, to me, it's representative of they have a connection that for them is symbolic of who they are, who they were at one time or who they want to be. 
and they feel like it's so embedded in this object that if they let go of the object, it's all going to kind of poof. And so I don't believe that. I do believe stuff has energy and can have meaning. But for me, like most of my memories are in my head and my heart and sometimes photographs. Um, but, you know, I live in the Bay Area, so we deal with fires a lot, um, especially now. And so I've had to really think hard about like, what are the things I would take in a fire? What are the things that for me have so much value and meaning that I would be devastated if they were gone? And um, there aren't that many things. Like for me, I lost my father nine years ago. I have a few things of his that are really precious and irreplaceable. Um, aside from that, and like some photos and some letters, to me, stuff is just stuff. And so a lot of the coaching I do with my clients is, hey, if that concert t-shirt is precious to you and you love it and you either want to wear it or display it or frame it or just hang on to it, go for it. Like that is your prerogative. Just make sure it's worth the space that it takes up in your home. So for me, that's the big deciding factor is, is it meaningful and important to you now? And is it worth the real estate it takes up in your home to store it? to clean it, to maintain it. And if so, by all means, like that's the only rule is it's got to make sense for you. And you have to want to, like, I think we all have a certain amount of real estate. I happen to be in a smaller home, so I have more boundaries, but I think even in a bigger home, every single thing you own takes up energy, mental energy. You have to clean it, maintain it, organize it, display it. And so for me, the question is just, is it worth it? And I think each person needs to make that decision. I'm not going to say I'm wrestling this concert t-shirt out of your hands because I don't think it's worth it, <laughs> but I just want people to make sure they feel like it's worth the cost. Explain the rule of one, because I think that that's a I think that's a great transition from what you were just talking about. Yeah. So um, I came up with the rule of one after years and years of losing my sunglasses and my umbrellas. <laughs> Those are like the most commonly. And so I would just buy these kind of cheapo disposable sunglasses and umbrellas and they were a dime a dozen and I lost them constantly. And so I'm buying them and losing them. And it was this ridiculous cycle. And one day my brother said to me, he happens to be a minimalist too. He said, well, why don't you follow your own advice and invest in fewer, better things so you care about it and you track it more. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to have one umbrella that's really nice and high quality, and good design, one pair of sunglasses. And since I made that decision, that was over 10 years ago, I haven't lost my umbrella or my pair of sunglasses. I've done the same thing with a wallet. I used to have a bunch of wallets and rotate them. Now I have one really nice wallet. It's always in my bag. I know where it is. And so the rule of one for me is just picking what are those things that tend to get lost in the shuffle or you don't really invest in them that you can invest in one very, very high quality version of it that's so nice that you really take the care to not lose track of it. Um, and so it saved me a ton of money and wasted time and energy, um, but it's also elevated the things that I own, which is kind of a fun byproduct. 
And and with that, I, I will I will say that one of the things I enjoyed about your book is it's it's not heavy, and it's not judgy, and I think <laughs> and I think that that's important. There's a there's a, a lot of really practical information that I I think is I think is great. Um, what's what's next for you after the book? Now, yeah. so you have your business. It, what comes first, the the business or the or the book, the instruction, and then what's next as far as the once someone sort of manages this? And and by the way, I think it's also important for both on the consumer side and on the designer side. I think there's a lot of things that that you can really grasp onto. What's next? Okay, <laughs> well, so career wise, um, I have another book that I will be working on. Um, fairly immediately. So I got my second book deal before my first book was out. And my second book is going to focus on home organizers around the globe and their organized homes and philosophies. Um, So I begin traveling for that book on Sunday. Um, So I'm very excited about that. So I will be exploring actually minimalists, maximalists, everyone in between, um, and kind of bringing the best um, tips and hacks and secrets and house tours um, from organizers all over the globe. Um, So I'm thrilled about that. Um, And then in terms of my own business, the way that I really want to help people is putting, helping people put the book and my philosophy and my toolkit into practice. So I have on-demand courses that I've developed that are um, on my website. And I also have this dream of just doing fun pop-up workshops like, hey, come organize your closet with me. I'm going to clean out my closet. Come do it with me. Let's make it fun. Um, I think that organizing is very daunting for people and very overwhelming. And for me, it's always been fun. It's always been kind of cathartic and a form of self-care. And so my mission, both with the book and with everything I do, is let's take this thing that is really a nagging chore for most people and make it light and fun um, and even a way in which we can connect and laugh together. Um, so that is in the works, is doing kind of fun pop-up workshops where you can come clean out your junk drawer, clean out your fridge, go through your closet, do your spring cleaning um, with me and a bunch of people around the world live. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, this was great. Um, sure. Thank you so much. And um, I, I enjoyed the book immensely. Uh, it was because I, I found it to be in that in that middle ground between instructional self-help and philosophical spiritual en- enlightenment. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're all related. Was- I love that. That was my goal. I didn't want, you know, a shallow view of organizing. I really wanted to go a little deeper. So I'm I'm so glad you loved it. Thank you. So there you go. Another episode of Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast is in the books with author, coach, and organizer, Shira Gill. Thank you, Shira, for the time. Curated Chill is the perfect podcast companion for anyone who truly loves design, art, and architecture. We strive to bring you the story behind Sublime Design each week and directly to your smart device. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and loving Sublime Design the way we do. For more great stories about design, art, and living well, listen, subscribe, and come back to chill.